You know, that was my favorite part of the game of life, was always payday. I always wanted to be the banker in Monopoly and the game of life, true story, true confessions. I was really into money, and to be honest, sometimes I still am. You know, because of that, I often had a lot of jobs in my life. Early on, I wasn't allowed to work during the school year because my mom knew that I was not capable of both accomplishing my schoolwork and accomplishing a job. And so she wouldn't let me work during the school year. But every summer, I had a summer job. And one of those jobs was working maintenance on a golf course. And my mom had a habit of asking me at the end of every summer what I had learned from my work. And so after this summer of particularly hard manual labor, mowing and trimming and digging and raking and all the things that go to make a golf course beautiful and cared for, she sat me down and asked, son, what have you learned? And my response was this, I've learned that I can do anything to make a living. And she thought that was a really good thing to learn. And so we talked about that for a while. And then she asked me, what else have you learned? And I didn't miss a beat. And I replied, I don't want to do manual labor for the rest of my life. (laughs) So far, so good. This morning, as part of our sermon series called The Game of Life, we'll ask the question, does Jesus' promise of abundant life apply to our work? Now, if you were here last week, Jonathan introduced you to our series with this. Real life, abundant life, full life is found in Jesus Christ alone. And so as Christ followers or those who might be interested in following Christ this morning, the question we want to ask is, does this uh, promise of abundant life that we have in Christ apply to the area where we spend so much of our time and our energy? That is our workplace. Now you might be thinking, looking out at some of you, I don't work. That Not me personally, y'all might be thinking to yourself about yourself, I don't work, right? One day a week, pastors just work one day a week, that's it. Um, not true, just wanted to help you out with the stereotype. But you might be thinking to yourself, I don't work. I'm in school, or I'm at retired, or I stay at home. This doesn't really apply to me. But it does, because we all work at something. Now, for some of you, your work is easily defined. If you are in the workforce, and you go to a job, and you render a service, and you collect a paycheck to earn your living, that's an easy way of defining your work, right? But let me look at this some other ways. You also work if you're a student. So if you're in elementary school or middle school or high school or even college, you have a job to do as well as a student. So how many of you kids started school this week? You Raise your hand that you started school. Okay. Now, I bet that some of you have to go home today and do something called home what? Home Work. That's right. How many of you have some homework to do today? Yes, ma'am. There you go. You have work to do, homework as part of your school. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, or it is the 21st century after all, if you're a stay-at-home dad, you have work as well. You have chores and child care and home care, much more than I could ever imagine to list right now. 
And friends, if you are in retirement, and I know many of you are, you also have work that you do. Whether it's volunteering in your community, caring for your grandkids, doing things out in the world, you work as well. And each one of you, each one of us, we have a ton of separate activities from separate from earning money that constitutes the work that we do every day. Things that we just do to make our world more orderly. And the question is, can you experience abundant life in those places? And I think the answer is yes. But it often it will take an adjustment. An adjustment of our perspective from moving from obligation to opportunity. For most of us in the workforce, like the job place, we say something like this. I work so that I can... Insert whatever. Live life, right? I work so that I can do this. I do this over here. It's a necessary evil so that I can do whatever. So I can feed my family or pursue my passion of golf or outdoor living or competitive knitting. Whatever it is that you... I mean, hey, I can knit that scarf in two minutes and 58 seconds. And somebody else will go, no, I can do it in two minutes and they're off. Um, Whatever it is that you like to pursue as your leisure or as your passion, usually constitutes the reason you do your work, right? Besides just simply paying for the food and the house, we really work so that we can do other stuff. So it's going to take an adjustment from that mindset to a biblical mindset. See, God's view is that our work is so much bigger than do this so that you can do that. And because most of us don't have the luxury of not working, I think it becomes really important to us to understand God's plan for work, the things that we do in the world. And so this morning we have two particular scriptures that I think illustrate two things. First, God's priority for human beings, for human beings in creation, for human creation was always work. And his priority for human recreation, for Christian recreation. He makes us new creations, new beings. He recreates us in his image. His priority for Christians is love. So at the very beginning, God's priority for us as humans was work. And as Christians is love. If you're looking there at your Genesis 1 passage, we learn that in the very beginning, God made humans In his image. Man and woman, he equally made us in his image. And man and woman, humans were to have, it's there in the second half of verse 26, dominion over the birds, sorry, the fish, dominion over the birds, over livestock, over all the earth, and every single thing that creeps and crawls on the earth. God's purpose was for humans to have dominion over that. And then if you look on down at verse 28, God says to the the man and the woman, he says to you and me, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so what God does in the last verse of our reading, chapter two, verse 15, is God places man and woman, human beings in the garden, in the world, in order to work it and to keep it. So our first work God's plans for human, human beings is that we would be actively working in his world. 
God in the beginning made work. Now you might be thinking, man, this is bad news. But stick with me, it's good news. You might be thinking, that's too much. I don't have what it takes. And you'd be right. At least when you view it from our own human perspective. Because, you know, we know this story, if you've been around the church, uh, human beings sinned. Because we separated ourselves from God by our behavior, because we tarnished his image in us, that image that is work, we see everything from our brokenness. Work, which was meant to be beautiful and meaningful and doable in God's creation, has become, as part of the curse, toilsome. Because of our sin, God cursed us and said, this work is going to be hard. And so apart from Jesus, we can in fact do it. And apart from Jesus, it becomes too much. Work is toilsome. It becomes just simply a gross necessity. We need it to survive. So friends, there must be some way, some way for you and me to recapture his original intent, right? And our original nature, some way to be transformed so that the place where we, to that place, transformed to that place where we become like he wants us to be. And I've got good news. There is a way for us to become transformed. Jesus is the way. Jesus offers us a new life in him. He enters the world to restore the divine image in us. He does so by paying the price for the cost of our sin, by dying on the cross, and then offering us by faith to be clothed in his righteousness. That's his nature that in the recreation, in the good news of the gospel, that you and I get to put on. It's really good news. He's righteous, and if you're in him, you're righteous as well. His perfect image becomes restored in you. And not only is his image restored, but his purpose is restored. He came not simply to give you an abundant life in the future, but abundant and full life right now. And with that, I want to just turn to our gospel this morning. And what we find there is this in Mark. There we find a teacher of the Jewish law asking a sincere question of Jesus. Which commandment is the most important of all? He says in verse 28. What question, what's most important? As a scribe, he had, as a scribe, he had spent his whole life ordering and prioritizing more than 600 Jewish laws. And what he wants to ask Jesus is, out of all of those, which ones are the most important? Which types are the most important? Is it the spiritual law? Is it the ceremonial law? Is it the sacrificial law? Is it the communal law by which we are just staying well in our community? And what Jesus, he wants to know a type. And what Jesus says to him is not, hey, here's a type. You know, hey, just keep the spiritual laws, just keep the sacrificial laws, you'll be okay. What he says is not a type, but he says a thing. What's most important, the guy's asking, his, and Jesus' response is this. Love God and love your neighbor. What's most important, Jesus says, is for you to love God vertically and love the world horizontally. What's number one to Jesus is this relationship with God and with the world around you. 
What was his original plan? For humans to walk around the garden and to do the work and to care for it and to bring order to it. And you know who else was walking around the garden? God was walking around the garden. From the very beginning, God's intent was to be as close to you as the person sitting next to you. God's intent was to be so available to you that you would only know him and know his purposes. And so when the guy's asking Jesus, hey, what's most important? Jesus is pointing all the way back to Genesis 1. All the way back. The most important thing is relationship with me. We were supposed to bring order to the world in partnership with God. Essentially, that means subdue it. When you, friends, find new life in Christ, you are recovering the old way of doing things, the old way of thinking, the old ability to actually do the work God called you to do. And so all of a sudden, the abundant life is not just relationship with him eternally, but an eternal partnership with him in your work. And I wonder this morning, what would the lives of those who are around you all the time, your neighbors, right? Whether you are at work, particularly whether you are the CEO or the one who sweeps up, what would the lives of those around you look like if love were your operating principle? Now, I know that if you're the CEO, you've got a lot of things to manage. But what if underlying those choices was a deep desire to love those who work for you? Or to love the person you are working for if you have a boss. If that were your operating principle. See, abundant life would all of a sudden be found in your workplace. Not just for you, but for those who work with you. There's an old tale about three bricklayers hard at work. And someone walked up to them and asked them what they were doing. And the first bricklayer said this, I'm putting one brick on top of another. The second replies... I'm earning $1.50 an hour. And the third one says, I'm building a cathedral. I am building a house of God. You see how three, the same task can be seen in three different ways. What if you, when you went to whatever your workplace is, and you didn't think about, oh, I'm just managing somebody's portfolio, or, oh, I'm just managing the construction of this, or I sell this widget, or make that widget. What if you went to work and said, I'm building a cathedral. I'm building a house of God. Or even better, a house for God in the people around me. See, as a student, you might say, you might see your work not simply to learn your spelling or recite history, but to encourage someone. Encourage someone who needs encouragement. Your work is, in Christ is to love others. Or as a CEO or a boss, your gifts for order and administration were not simply the profit of stockholders, but to bless your employees with security and peace in your closest neighbor, in your, excuse me, security and peace in a consistent paycheck. Or if you're a stay-at-home parent, you're actually loving your very closest neighbors, your children, your spouse, with nurture and love and with the good news of Jesus. Or if you're in retirement, as you volunteer or are a neighbor to the lonely, perhaps the widow, perhaps the people who have just moved to a town whose family is all working, you have important work, important love to share with them. 
See, the workplace, friends, isn't just someplace you go so that you can do the thing you really want. It's a place where you, loving God and loving others by whatever means you can, can build cathedrals in other people. You know, each week in just a few minutes, we pray the Lord's Prayer. We say to God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're basically saying, God, would you let your kingdom come today? You ever notice that? It's not waiting for this long-term thing. What we're actually taught to ask God, what Jesus teaches us to ask, is for his kingdom to become real right where we stand. Right in the places we're doing things. And so here's my challenge for you this week. As you step into your workplace, your job, or your school, your parents, you can help your children with this before they leave the house. As you order your home, if you stay at home and care for your little ones, or as you step into the community, I, your challenge is for you to do this, all right? Are you ready? I want you to stop and pray and say, Lord, Would you bring your kingdom through me? Lord, show me how to bring your kingdom to these people in this place so that they too might become new creations. Friends, here's the promise. That if that's your prayer and that's your perspective, that God is making things new, That that is part of the order and work and good, loving ministry that Jesus calls us to do. You will keep your eyes open. If you will do that, that's your perspective, and you keep your eyes open, you will find immense joy. More joy than you have ever found in a day of work. As you see others find abundant life, or find a joyful moment, or find encouragement, or smile when you say something nice to them. That's bringing the kingdom That's laying a brick on top of each other in order to build a cathedral, not simply build a wall. Let us pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I pray that we would be people who uh, each day this week, each moment would say, God, would you help us bring your kingdom to this place today? Would you bring it through me? And that we might see people uh, filled with joy. We might see an expanse of our understanding of work. And we might be encouraged and encourage others in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.